Welcome back to the Garden State Law Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lau. Joining me today is Sabre Partner and Commercial Litigator, Mark Woolen. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. So today we're going to be focusing on something that I would con consider to be one of the most impactful things that have happened to the legal industry in really several decades. The long-term effects of COVID-19 has forced really all firms and companies in, in all industries to kind of pivot and end up being a little bit more virtual than they ever expected. Um, and I think that's something that lawyers are adjusting to and we're kind of learning as time goes on how to operate in uh, a more virtual world. Before we get to the topic, Mark, maybe you can take a second and introduce yourself and your practice. Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, as Tim indicated, my name is Mark Wollen. Uh, I'm a commercial litigator. I do basically commercial, all kinds of commercial and complex litigation. Uh, I'm a certified uh, mediator for both the United States uh, District Court for the District of New Jersey and uh, elsewhere. And I also spend uh, maybe some of my time, 20% of my time or so, uh, as a trustee. So I thought you would be a really good person for this conversation because I look back now a couple of years ago. And I think about how you were, and I remember how you were one of the first people at the firm to conduct a substantial legal proceeding uh, virtually. And I remember the, the logistics that went into it. I mean, the whole kind of firm knew what was going on. There was the space that was separated for you, and uh, there's a lot of people involved, and it was the first of its kind, and it was clear that everyone was of learning how to do this on the fly. And it wasn't just you, it was the entire industry who's learning how to uh, con conduct a business virtually. So I kind of wanted to start there. When you think back at this trial, a bench trial that you had, this was, I guess, in 2021, maybe less than a year um, after the pandemic began, what leading into the this trial, this illegal any legal proceeding, was your approach different how, how did you prepare? What was the difference in preparation? Um, and what was the preparation approach like when you said, okay, um, I for you know, 30 years have been conducting trials in court and now I'm going to be doing it in our conference room. Um, how was your approach uh, different than it had been in the past? It was the same in many ways and it was different in many ways. Um, with regard to trial preparation, you still have to get your documents in a row. You still have to prepare and your witnesses. You still have to prepare for cross-examination. You still have to do motions and limit all of the things that would go along with a regular trial. Uh, but on top of that, there's all of, there's a mountain of logistical issues that we had to confront that you never even think about uh, when you're doing a trial uh, in the court. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the logistical issues. So the technology is a big component, uh, and I think we'll get to that in a moment. But um, beyond just the technology perspective, um, what sort of logistical hurdles did you have to cross? I mean, I think there's procedures. I mean, you had mentioned to me that we, we went through a kind of procedural checklist, you and the opposing counsel uh, with the court itself. Um, out, we'll get to the, 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 the cameras and the Zoom in a moment, um, but what other logistical issues did you have to confront well the 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 cameras and uh, and and sound and acoustics are all part of it because mm -hmm. when 
doing a remote trial like we did, we did a dry run just to see how things would look. And there are things that occurred that you would never even anticipate. We were sitting in a lighted conference room that looked just fine. We had a witness there who was wearing glasses. And to the naked eye, they were clear, but there was actually a fine tint there. Well, the way it showed up on Zoom was his eyes were completely blacked out. It's like, all right, we can't have that. So we had to spend like half a day fiddling with the lights, trying to get the light just right so the face, the witness's face wouldn't look washed out or you, could, or you couldn't see his eyes, things like that. And even with that, we couldn't get it to be just right. So we actually had to run to Best Buy to buy a lamp <laughs> and uh and and once we had the lamp the the video aspect of this worked fine so i mean that's just an example from the sound uh, from uh, how you uh present uh documents to the witness uh the logistics of where the witness is going to be it's all different than uh when you're in a court there were you in the same you know i'm I'm thinking about our, our office space. Um, were you all in the same room at the same time? Did you have uh, breakout rooms of sorts? So how did you manage, you know, where people needed to be? I would imagine at times people needed to be separated from each other and the judges on screen, but uh, you needed someone in one room and you were in another room. How was that? Yeah, well, this was one of the things that um, I had discussed at length with my adversary who you know, was anxious to discuss these as well because we both were confronting the same set of issues. So we actually got together ahead of time to sort of put together protocols of what we would do. And as to witnesses specifically, uh, the rule for both sides was the witnesses would be in a completely separate room from where the attorneys were when they were testifying. So there would be nobody else in the room, no hand signals, no, you know, sliding of notes, no holding up cards, anything like that. Um, so the best way to do that was to just put the witness in a completely separate room from where the attorneys were. And after the witness was done testifying, then he could come into the regular or she could come into the regular trial room where the proceedings were being conducted. But while they were on the stand, they were in a separate area where nobody else was. And that was the same for both parties. So you mentioned the protocols that you had put together with um, opposing counsel. Was that something that you did proactively, the two of you, or was this something that the court kind of maybe not mandated, but gave, you know, called you and said, we need some sort of order to this. How did that work out? I, you know, I, I would imagine that the court was as unprepared to deal with this as anyone else. Um, how did the, the development of putting together these procedures, because you've actually showed me your procedures. Uh, it's extensive. It was well thought out. I mean, it was comprehensive. Um, wh what was the genesis of putting this together? Well, we had an initial conference with the judge who was assigned to our trial, and we just had a very quick conference with him, uh, subject to further conferences down the road. And one of the things that naturally got raised during the course of this was, Your Honor, are there any protocols or how... How does this work? Because neither of us, neither myself nor my adversary had ever done it before. And the judge is like, I don't know. I've never <laughs> done it before either. So that realizing that we were sort of working on a blank slate, uh, one of the things that we discussed with the court was maybe opposing counsel and I would get together and see if we could 
sort of put a list of things, uh, protocols and steps that would be amenable to both of us and present them to the court for consideration. And the judge was like, great, go ahead and do it. So we, my adversary and I, we didn't sit down together because it was COVID, but we had a, uh, we had a conference call, an extensive conference call where we just sort of went through brain, you know, brainstorming different kinds of things like, you know, putting the witness in a separate room, uh, the lighting, uh, what happens if there's a technical snafu, uh, how do you do, how do you present documents on cross-examination? I mean, all these different things that come up during trial that you never think about when you're in a courtroom that you now have to deal with differently um, when you're doing it remotely. And so we ended up putting together like a three-page document of protocols that we that we agreed to, and then we sent to the judge for his blessings. Was he just accepting of this these protocols, or did they come back and say, yeah, I like this. This was well thought through. Very good. Nah, not that. Let's change this. Or how is that? Was much back and forth, or was he kind of so? Oh, yeah, good to me. It was he. He actually was extremely complimentary of us. Um, he thought they were great. He, in fact, I recall during our conversation, he goes, "Do you mind if I circulate this to the other judges?" Really? Yeah, <laughs> because nobody had really done it before. Yeah. This so, was early 2021. Yeah, we. The, our trial was ended up being in June of 21, but the protocols were put together probably in late February or early March. Yeah. So it was literally just a year, yeah. you know, into the pandemic. So y you had worked with opposing counsel seemingly a lot more than you normally, well, from my perspective, more than you normally would have on a regular trial. How important was having a good relationship with him uh, or her um, leading up to this? Because it seems like you really need to be on the same page. And had you not been, it would have been just another level of uh, frustration and, um, you know, uh, communication. And, you know, I, I would imagine that having a good rapport with this person is paramount to making this work, especially for the first time. Absolutely. And. Uh, my adversary was, first of all, an experienced trial lawyer. So he had, he was not new to the game. Yeah. Uh, he was new to COVID like we all were. And so he was very in tune as I was with what do we have, what do we have to do to make sure that this runs properly? So, uh, he was more than willing to have a discussion as, and I said, our, our conversations in this regard were very productive because whatever procedures we applied applied equally to both of us. Mm -hmm. So uh, we both wanted to make sure that it would work, you know, for whatever we wanted to do at trial. And was there um, a production? I mean, us sitting here right now doing this podcast, we have a production team that we're working with and everything's kind of set up for us. At that time, was there any of that or was this uh, Mark Woolen, the Saber IT team, and we are making this work on the fly? Uh, well, I guess I'd like to say the Saber IT team was the production unit. Yeah, kudos to them. <laughs> so we, what we did at the time was, again, I wanted to make sure that separate and apart from the merits of the case, everything ran seamlessly. So you could see the witness, you could see the documents that we were uh, showing as exhibits. Uh, you could, the, the acoustics were good. There was no audio feedback. I mean, all of these kinds of things, 
um, that we had to, and we had to uh, set up computers in different rooms and TV screens in different rooms um, to accommodate all of this. And that part, you know, took a, a large chunk of time because it's, it's again, independent of the preparation of the actual trial itself. It's just the mechanics of it. Yeah. And you're, and you're learning it too. It's not just kind of doing it, but you're learning from scratch. So I guess that, that brings me to my question about really Zoom and some of the challenges that you had dealt with. Now, Zoom in 2019 was this thing that I think I had a username and password, right. and maybe I used it once and tw once or twice. I remember working with our, uh, our web developers who host our website, and it was probably in 2019, and he sent me a link to a Zoom, and we were on, I, I wasn't even on camera because I didn't have a camera on my uh, computer at that time, but he did. I was thinking, wow, this is this is cool. Why don't I text up? I know. Why don't we do this more often? <laughs> Little did I know a year later that we would be kind of bound to Zoom or Teams or whatever we're using now. But what were some of the things with Zoom and video that you found uh, interesting or challenging? I mean, for example, I know that, uh, well, now I'm not a practicing attorney myself. I've seen enough movies and I, I know enough to know that there's sidebars that happen and you say like, okay, well, let me, um, let me talk to judge for a moment. Let me pull this aside. So just the two of us are commuting communicating how did how did that happen on zoom I, I imagine there's some sort of breakout rooms but again i don't imagine this is all detailed in your protocols but what was that like well actually it wasn't in the protocols but um what we ended up doing i mean often during trials someone wants to introduce a document and somebody objects to the use of the document whether it's a portion of it that is you know confidential or whether it's uh irrelevant to the issues of the case whatever the objection may be and normally during trial there would be a sidebar where the lawyers just go up to the sidebar out of the earshot of the witness and will discuss and argue their relative positions before the judge who will make a ruling and then the judge will you know make his decision and then you just proceed in the in the zoom world uh or, or any video uh type trial it's different because you're not all physically there. So to do a sidebar, what we had to do was to get the witness out of the room into a conference room, so to speak. And so whenever there was an objection like that, the judge would contact his courtroom deputy who would then come in and be the technological person to remove the witness from the room and put him in the conference room. So there's a deputy... With you and then another deputy on the other Not side. Not us, no. Just okay. just because the witness is sitting. Uh, I mean, it's it's all technically over Zoom. Okay. So so he just would have to put the witness into a Zoom breakout. Got him. Uh, Got him. Uh, not physically, right? Uh, you know, logistically. So he would like turn the audio and video off for that witness. So when we're arguing uh, or discussing whatever the objection was. The witness couldn't hear anything. And that there was a time delay in that because by the time the judge got his uh, courtroom deputy to put the witness into a breakout room, we would that was a couple minutes, you know, and then we would go through and argue whatever we were going to uh, argue about uh, with the judge. And then when the judge would make his ruling and then it would, to get the witness back, it was another couple minutes. So usually what happened is the sidebars took longer, uh, substantially longer than I think they would during a regular trial just because of the logistical issues. And there was actually a funny thing that happened 
uh, for one of the times when I was examining um, uh, one of the witnesses, my adversary made an objection. We did the whole process. At the end of the process, the judge uh, overruled the objection, and he said, and then brought the witness back in, and then said, counsel, go ahead, uh, hold the witness. The objection's overruled. Uh, counsel, continue. Ask your question again. And now this had been like a 10 or 15 minute gap since I'd asked the question and I couldn't remember what the question was. And if anyone's ever watched The Honeymooners with Ralph Cramden, I was sort of like, humana, 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 and just tried to figure out where was I? And I was like, your honor, can you indulge me for a minute? And I'm sort of like trying to find out exactly where I was because of the time lapse. And finally, the court said to me, uh, Mr. Wallen, I think the question was thus and such. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what it was. And then it brought me all back. Back on track. And then, and then I was able to proceed from there. But it was, uh, you know, a moment of panic because I just couldn't remember in the exact question or argument that we had just resolved. So that brings me to the court reporter. Is, what, is there a court reporter in these virtual trials or no? Uh, as I learned the hard way, the answer is no, okay, clearly not. Because the first thing I said when the judge said, asked your question again was, uh, your honor, may I have the court reporter read the question back? And he's like, Mr. Wolden, there is no court reporter. We are recording all these proceedings, but there is no one physically in the court. So, um, that was something that was significant. And I think if I ever had to do another one. I would have my own court reporter, not for purposes of creating a transcript that would be used, but for scenarios like that where you can't relate back to anything and and to try to find out exactly where you were, what you were doing, it would it would just make life a lot easier. And that's something you never realize until you do it. You never think like, okay, I'm I'm gonna be without a court reporter and I'm gonna have to lean on something else. And you don't know until you're in the in the middle of it. Right. There was never a discussion beforehand of whether or not there was going to be a court reporter. And um, no, so I I did not know until we actually encountered that situation. Um, and then uh, I was like, OK, uh, I'll have to jot that one down for, right. the, for the next time. <laughs> so with that being a, a snafu that you kind of learned on the fly, and thinking about all the the breakout rooms and technology, and I've been doing this now, uh, things virtually for a couple of years, and still seeing to you know almost three years later the technology snafus that we have. Were there many um, technology hiccups along the way, or just felt like it went pretty smoothly once you put in the, the legwork? For for the most part, it was uh, it was smooth. Uh, at various times. The judge would start speaking about something, but he was on mute. So we'd all be like waving at the judge. And it's like, <laughs> and uh, it's this right to national side. Right, right. So, uh, or there were times where um, the judge's microphone was still on and it would create feedback mm-hmm. or, or one of our microphones is on when we shouldn't be doing something that was creating feedback. So, but that was really uh, small. Yeah. Um, there were a handful of minor things, but it was really not a distraction at all to the trial. It was just like, an, like 
I guess what you would say, it's an occasional hiccup, yeah. but it, it didn't delay anything and it didn't really have any impact on the trial itself. Well, I think that probably speaks to the preparation that went into it. Um, so to you, what are the significant differences between you know, any legal proceeding virtually and doing it in person? Are there dramatic differences or what would you point to? There, there, there were a couple. One I've already talked about was the breakout, you know, sidebars uh, was very different than you would see from a normal um, trial. Another one that was very different um, was cross-examination. In, normal, in a normal in-person trial, when you are cross-examining a witness and you have a document that you want to use, you have three copies and you say, Your Honor, I'd like to have this marked as Rebuttal Exhibit 1 and I want I have a copy for the witness, I have a copy for the court, I have a copy for my adversary. You hand them all out and then you begin. Um, in the remote world... Uh, it's, it's hard to do that because you're not physically there. So you can't hand something out. And unlike exhibits that you use on your direct case, cross-examination, you don't have to give notice to the other side of what documents you're going to use to cross-examine the witness. So you sort of have to make plans of how to do that. And so one of the things that this was part of the discussion I had with my adversary, that if either one of us were going to have cross-examination uh, exhibits, we had to make a procedure to deal with that. And essentially, they were sent to the judge's uh, law clerk beforehand so the judge wouldn't have the opportunity to see the documents until we use them because we may use all or some or none of them based upon what the witness said. So we didn't know, but we had to send the list of them and the actual documents there. So at trial, when we used one, the judge would be able to physically look at the document. At the same time, when we introduced a, when we said we wanted to do this, I had someone with me who would send the full document to my adversary via email. So he could look at the whole document that we were using. And then we would also have the document put up on the screen so the witness could see it. So that, that was a more cumbersome mm. process than what you would normally do. But I think once we put the procedures in place, it didn't really have an impact on the flow of the trial, so that that worked well. And 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 one, um, the last thing I would say to your question, which I thought was interesting, another thing I did not think about it ahead of, ahead of time was, for purposes of a bench trial where the judge is the finder of fact, I thought a Zoom trial in some respects was better than an in-person trial, because in an in-person trial the witness is sitting to the judge's left. Uh, and so when the judge is looking at the witness, all you get is a profile and view. When you're on Zoom, the witness's face is on a big screen right in front of the judge. And, you know, one of the things that finders of fact always do are make credibility determinations. Uh, you got conflicting testimony. Uh, you ultimately have to determine who's more credible and whatever. And I think having the witness's face right in front of the judge and you can see someone sweating or someone who's cool and calm and collected or whatever uh, made made an impact. And I, and I think in some respects is better uh, than when you're in a courtroom because the judge really can't get that point of view. So to make sure to have a high definition camera so you can really get a good, good read on the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So looking forward, um, 
in the next couple of years, because um, I think now we're dealing with years and not months. I remember when COVID first began, it was, well, you know, in the next six months and then nothing really changes and you kind of shift to, well, the next few years. How do you see um, virtual trials, virtual legal proceedings uh, in general um, shaking out over the next couple of years and specifically in New Jersey because um, I think it's well documented that there's a judicial shortage right now and that I would think this would be a benefit to the judge because they could probably get through, through things a little faster. Where do you see this leading in the next, let's say, five years? Yeah, I obviously can't say for sure, but if I had to place my guess, there's a lot of things that happen on a regular basis that we used to have to go to court for, whether it's initial scheduling conference or um, a settlement conference or uh, arguing a, a motion, whether it's a discovery motion or a summary judgment motion. Those uh, have been, in my experience, almost done exclusively uh, via Zoom uh, since the pandemic began. And in many respects, they're more efficient because sometimes for an initial conference, you're with the judge for 10 minutes, if that much. And uh, But you have to spend uh, 40 minutes driving there, parking, whatever. There's a whole list of other lawyers there on other cases, and you have to sit around and wait. And in this respect, it was it's a lot easier. You have a specific time, you dial in, you have your 10-minute conference, and you're done. And frankly, I don't see that changing. Um, there's really no need for that. Um, there, are, there are certain benefits for sure of having uh, certain proceedings in person, but I think a lot of the things that we found out we could do via Zoom um, via, during the pandemic will, will continue. Trials are a different uh, animal, especially jury trials. Um, there's been some documentation about jury trials remotely were more favorable to jurors because jurors could do it from the comfort of their own home. They didn't have to spend all the time commuting. They didn't have to, you know, sit in a locked room, you know, to make sure that they weren't talking to anybody else, things like that. Uh, but I just think logistically it's harder to do, and I would guess someday when we're past the pandemic and the court shortages and whatever, that probably jury trials would um, at the least begin to uh, be back in person. And even and even bench trials, notwithstanding the fact of, you know, for credibility determinations, I just still think uh, sometimes it's better to be in person to do it than, uh, than to do it remotely. Sure. Yeah, there's a real life element that you just don't get that I think to a certain extent is needed in this yeah uh it, it's 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 hard to quantify or, sure. or put into words right. but i think i think there is a benefit to uh to be well thank you mark i really appreciate it if you would like to contact mark directly you can reach out to him at 973-622-8401 or you can email him at m woolen that's spelled at w m w o l i n at saber s-a-i-b-e-r.com Thank you for all those listening and watching. We'll talk to you next time.